from the red and black, this is the front page. It's Monday, June 15th. For today's episode, photo editor Taylor Gerlock explains the reason that the photo desk has not been blurring faces. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's local elections. June 9th was election day for local, state, and national primaries. Notably, Jerry Neesmith won against Jesse Houle for the District 6 seat. Neesmith passed away three days before the election. The ACC Board of Elections Office announced that Neesmith's votes won't be counted, and Houle will serve as the District 6 commissioner. The Democratic sheriff primary was a close race. Five-turn incumbent Sheriff Ira Edwards Jr. was beat by John Williams. Williams won 51.05% of the vote. The Red and Black has covered protests in downtown Athens for the past two weeks. These protests center around racial justice and the Black Lives Matter movement. I spoke with photo editor Taylor Gerlock about her experience covering the daily protests. You were at the May 31st protest and experienced the moment that police tear grass the crowd. What was that like? It was really just like a moment of mass chaos, I guess. It was almost like a standoff for several hours between the protesters and police. Because I remember looking at one of the other photojournalists there, who's my friend who has graduated, and I was like, you know, what are they waiting for? Like, the police have been on all corners for hours now. And she was like, I think they might be just waiting for, like, us to leave, waiting for journalists to leave. And at that point, I, like, was like, okay, this is important. I need to be here. I need to stay and see what this turns into. Because that's, like, part of, like, I guess... The purpose of journalism is just holding people in power accountable for their actions. And so that's one of the biggest reasons that I decided to stay. But essentially, there were protesters like on all four sides of the intersection of Broad and College. And they were kind of just like linking arms and making a square, standing shoulder to shoulder. There were police in uniform, like riot uniforms, on all sides of the streets leading up to that intersection. And then... A drone was like hovering overhead above the protesters and it kind of quietly had this recorded message that would play and it was really hard to hear everyone had to like shush each other to kind of hear it and the exact transcript is in the police report but it basically said like this is an unlawful assembly you need to disperse if you don't force may be used against you um and so protesters decided to stand their ground, and then a couple minutes later, one of the armored trucks on College Avenue started driving towards the protesters really slowly, and then, like, this canister was shot from the truck. It exploded, there was a lot of smoke, people screaming and running, and I started making photos, and didn't really know what to do or where to go, or what was happening, and I didn't know that it was tear gas, like, they, the whole time at the protest, they'd been kind of preparing all the protesters, like, hey, this is what you do if you get tear gas. But I didn't know what exactly tear gas would look like or feel like or anything. Um, and for the first couple of minutes, I was just completely running off of adrenaline and I didn't feel anything. So I thought it was just, like, smoke. And so I just kept, you know, taking pictures. And then I moved back to kind of catch up with some of the other photojournalists there because we wanted to stay together as much as possible. And I started, like, feeling my throat burning. 
and I was like, what is happening? Because I thought tear gas was just going to affect your eyes. And so I was like asking the other journalists, like, what is this? And they're like, that's tear gas. We just got tear gas. Like, we need to get out and we need to get help. They started like washing their eyes out with water. And I was like, at this point, like my brain was still like in survival mode and like in like, this is, I'm here to work and this is what I'm going to do. And like, I don't really, like, it's just pain. <laughs> and the medics had kind of told us before, like, it's, it's going to hurt and water isn't going to help with the pain. It's just going to get the chemicals out of your eyes. So I just need photos of the other journalists, like getting their eyes flushed out with water. And then I thought about the fact that I had contacts in and it's like dangerous. I've been told to have contacts in with tear gas. So it was like in that moment that I stopped. I was like, okay, I need to get myself some help. And so I got those out. And then some of the volunteer medics like sprayed my eyes with water some of the um, Athens Clark County police officers who were there on scene like told us um, to have like to go home and to um, put Dawn like dish soap in our eyes and that that would help um, a lot more than water would. And then most people were like dispersing by that point, and so we went home. And how did that change the way that you cover protests after that? Did you take any safety precautions when you went back out there throughout the week? Yes, for sure. So my experience on Sunday definitely changed how I view journalism and how I prepare for other assignments that have to do with protests. I definitely come a lot more prepared. Throughout the week, I came with like ski goggles and like milk because I read online that that was better to treat tear gas. Yeah, I guess I was just more prepared. Um, on Sunday, I didn't have my laptop with me, and I really wished that I had because, like I said, it was a standoff, essentially, for a lot of hours. And so if I'd had my laptop with me, I could have been processing photos and uploading them in real time. And so I made sure to bring my laptop and chargers and everything I would need to process in the field from then on because I knew how unpredictable and how long um, these situations could last. So I think I was basically just a lot more prepared um, after that. When did you realize that you had to make the decision about whether or not you would blow the faces of protesters? I think that decision... Okay, so at the actual protest on Sunday, which was the first day I started covering it, it was the first day of protests in Athens, um, some of the protesters approached me about it. They said, like, are you going to blur our faces? And my response was, I can't answer that right now because I knew that I had to think through a lot of things before I came up with an answer to it. And so that Sunday night and Monday morning was when I really sat down and started researching what other news organizations were doing, started really digging into like, what is the purpose of journalism? Who do journalists serve? And kind of just thinking through that, like a lot of those big, hard questions. So I'd say it was definitely like Monday morning I was having a conversation with another photojournalist and I was talking about blurring faces and I realized at that point that I had uh, included a photo that blurred some faces in the gallery that I had posted the night before and so I realized I needed to take that photo down it was a photo that one of our contributors had made and they blurred the face of like someone who wasn't part of the protest and so it was kind of like in making those decisions, it was like, all right, here, I need to decide if I need to keep this photo up or take it down, and that's going to decide what we do for the rest of the time, and then I ended up, like, writing kind of a long blog post just explaining that decision. I definitely understand and feel the weight of the decision, and 
like I feel that the people in our photos like need the explanation for why we're not blurring photos because I understand the risks that they're at and I understand their concerns with it. So I ended up writing that on Monday. Protesters are worried about police surveillance, which is why some ask that their faces be blurred or that they remain anonymous. Recently, TechCrunch reported that the Justice Department allows the Drug Enforcement Administration the authority to, quote, conduct covert surveillance on civilians in order to stop the protests. Protesters want to be anonymous online in order to ensure their safety. You've had to have some pretty tough conversations about why the red and black can't blur out faces of protesters. Can you tell me our editorial policy and why we can't do that? Sure. So it's about kind of balancing. Like we have a legal right to be there and to make photos of people in public spaces. Like legally, you don't have any privacy protections when you're out in a public space and part of a public demonstration. So then it comes down to ethics and there is a journalism ethical principle of like do no harm or reduce harm as much as you can. And so that's the kind of thing that I was struggling with is that these images are being used for harm by law enforcement a lot and that's that's hard. <laughs> and so some of the protesters are calling for journalists to blur faces so that they can't be used by law enforcement to arrest people after the fact. And I completely understand that that's a risk and that is really unfortunate that images are being used that way. But in speaking with a lot of different journalists around the country and just listening to what other news organizations are doing, basically we can't blur faces because that introduces bias into our reporting. And so the easiest way for me to explain that is like, I, I don't think anyone expects me to blur faces of some of the people in our photos and not others, then that inherently introduces bias. And then one other thing, I was talking with my photo professor from UGA, and he was talking about how we as journalists can't let people be anonymous if they're out in public spaces and they're, you know, they have that implied consent for us to take photos. He used an example of in other other cities, protesters, some people have been kind of like infiltrating groups of protesters and then inciting violence or kind of starting the rioting. So it might be people who are kind of pretending to be part of the protest and then they're really just there to kind of rile people up and start something. And so it's like, we don't want to like blur faces of those people. So it's like, why would we blur faces of other people? And it just, it just becomes a really hard mess of like where do we draw that line it's been a really hard decision to just balance the different ethical principles of reporting on the truth and not obscuring the truth and then also trying to protect people who are vulnerable and i know that the red and black does respect people who wish to be anonymous at these events so how does the red and black do so yeah so photo wise we have started i mean COVID in a weird way has helped with this because masks help hide people's identity. And so we've also talked with protest organizers and tried to explain this decision to them and said, hey, like, this is what we're doing. We're asking our photographers to focus on more wide shots instead of like singling out specific people's faces. And if they are singling out specific people's faces, asking those people beforehand if they're okay with us taking their picture. And some people have said, no, like, I'd rather hide my face with the sign. And that's totally fine. We let them do that. Or they'll want to put on sunglasses. That's something like legally we don't have to do that, but it's just 
morally we want to respect um, them. And so we give them the chance to kind of hide their identity if they'd want to without us mechanically altering our images. As hard as it's been to like make these like kind of editorial decisions that are going to be controversial, we've had a lot of people reach out and you know tell us that we need to blur our photos and that kind of thing. Um, and that's been... I mean, hard. it's always hard to get criticism, um, but at the same time, I've been really encouraged by all of the people who have thanked us for our coverage, and it's never something that I, like, thought about, but especially after Sunday, so many people reached out to me and was like, hey, just thank you for being there, and I was like, of course I was there, like, this is a job that I'm honored to do, and I love it. And so it's not something that I, like, really thought about, you know, twice, but the feedback from the public has been really cool. I mean, on both sides, because the people who, you know, expressed criticism or concern about photos, they're ones who really made us think through these decisions and why we were doing them and making sure that there was a good reason behind them. And then it's also been really encouraging to hear that people are consuming our stories and that they're grateful to have the coverage. And that was the front page. The front page is a production of the Red on Black Publishing Company. This episode was co-produced by Kira Posey and Sherry Liang. The front page is sponsored by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.